right. Well, you are listening to Divinal Intervention, uh, a new podcast that is just launching uh, as you listen. So this is episode one, Our Maiden Voyage uh, with Divinal Intervention, the podcast. Uh, I will be your host. My name is David. A little bit of background. I have never been in the music industry in any capacity, but I am a longtime music collector and uh, raised on FM radio. Uh, As will become clear throughout the season of the podcast, my interests cover a really broad swath of the music landscape. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about rock music, whether that's classical, uh, alternative, punk, progressive, uh, some soul and R&B, of course some funk, some blues, uh, definitely some ska and reggae, uh, except for dance hall, of course. Uh, We'll get to that at another time. Uh, perhaps some jazz, maybe classic jazz, maybe modern stuff, uh, all sorts of instrumental music, whether that be surf music, uh, kind of crescendo music as they started to call it, or desert rock, uh, and also maybe some rockabilly, some country, but uh, probably just a little of that. And uh, we hope to get to some old school hip hop as well. Uh, oftentimes that's going to happen in the same show, so uh, put on your seatbelts and Stick, uh, stick with us, and hopefully you'll hear some things that, that spur some thoughts or some memories or some uh, ideas uh, for your own listening. Uh, in time, we probably will bring in some guests, maybe explore some of what I call my blind spots in music. Uh, for just one example, my lovely wife, who is the driving force behind the podcast and will be my executive producer uh, throughout. Um, she may join us to talk about New Jack Swing, freestyle and maybe even she'll talk about dance hall but we'll see Uh, i'm not quite sure how much of this uh, control i want to give up uh, but time will tell so uh let's dig into it what 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 is the purpose of this broadcast this this podcast called divine intervention Uh, the idea is to really celebrate music you know to dig into some of the bands and styles of music a little bit deeper uh, I'd like to expose you all to some new kinds of music, maybe see certain artists or songs with, with new eyes and new ears. And, uh, you know, much of what we'll cover will be familiar, but what's the fun in just doing the familiar? So we will also try to get a little bit off the beaten path, uh, whether that's, you know, artists that you may not be familiar with, maybe that's deeper cuts from some of your favorite artists, or maybe styles of music that radio either never met or forgot right after the prom. Uh, Kind of as a secondary purpose, I would like to finish the job I started back in the early 1970s and early 80s with blank cassette tapes. That's right, I would like to kill the music industry. Just joking. Uh, You probably all, uh, if not ask your parents, but you probably remember the old skull and crossbones warnings that they used to put in the record inserts. Uh, I still see them every once in a while when I'm playing vinyl, and it makes me laugh every time. Uh, And as your experience probably is, cassette tapes were the first time that you encountered some of your ultimate favorite bands. And so I think the music industry, of course, got it wrong back then, and I think they continue to get it wrong. So while we're on the subject of the purpose of the podcast, uh, it kind of made me think about... uh, bands that kind of made a statement of purpose with their very first broadcast. Um, So I want to take a little diversion and talk a little bit about bands that made such a strong statement of purpose 
uh, right, right from their opening album. So, you know, we're talking about album one, side one, track one. You know, you hear straight away what you're going to be in for with this artist, you know, pretty much for their career, or at least for uh, that segment of their career. Uh, so I'm going to start off here with an example of one of my favorites from the post-punk era. Here is Gang of Four. familiar with that, that's Gang of Four, and the song is Ether, from their first album, Entertainment. Uh, and there really is no confusing what you were going to be in with uh, for that, uh, that band right from the get-go. Uh, it's one of my, my favorites, uh, not just as first album, first song, uh, but just in general. So uh, hopefully one day we'll do a, a little bit deeper into uh, Gang of Four. Uh, some of the other bands I think about when I think about, you know, Statement of Purpose, um, you know, not as dramatic, but uh, again, you know, right from the very get-go, you know uh, what kind of music you're going to be hearing, uh, at least for, for a good time of their, their career. You know, you think about uh, the police uh, opening their careers uh, with the Outlandis De Amor album, uh, Van Halen, uh, with, of course, the first Van Halen release. Um, and, you know, so the, those are the kinds of things that I think about when I think about making a, a strong statement of purpose. Um, but I really do want to invite you all to uh, to maybe share with us some of the bands you think of, some of the songs you think of when you talk about uh, a band making a big opening statement on their first record. And I guess I probably should explain that I almost exclusively talk in terms of records, even if I'm not talking about vinyl. It's just a, a habit of mine, but that's uh, something you're going to have to adjust to if you become a regular listener, which we certainly hope you will do. Uh, the format of the podcast is going to be loose. We're going to try, um, try and keep it interesting, try and keep it varied. Um, but in some ways, it might be easier to discuss what the, what the podcast isn't. And uh, what it is not is, is going to be like a radio station or um, just a podcast where we just play songs and, and you know, boost certain artists uh, or, or try and sell you on something uh, that you uh, may or may not have heard before. Having said that, it'd be pretty strange to have a music podcast but not have any music played on it. So 
uh, in order to be uh, consistent with the law, in order to avoid being sued or having these huge piles of revenue we are generating from this podcast getting seized, um, we'll just try to stick it to short, short clips of the songs or the artists that we feature. Um, but uh, we are going to try to make sure that uh, on the uh, podcast website or on the Twitter feed that we put uh, links to the songs or the artists that we discuss or we play on the podcast so that you can kind of dig a little deeper into it if you're intrigued by what you hear. Uh, and, uh, and again, we encourage you to uh, dig a little bit deeper as we continue to do that in, uh, in the podcast. Okay, so having talked about the format, um, and I assure you that the, the podcast, or at least I hope the podcast will not always be this kind of dull and, uh, and uh, instructional, but uh, I don't think there's any way to avoid that from the beginning, uh, because you really should know what you're in for. So uh, again, uh, this is the maiden voyage of divinal intervention. Um, circling back to something I was just saying about, about posting links to the website, um, you know, the question is how, how can you be involved? How can this be kind of interactive, uh, if you will? And we really invite for it to be interactive to the extent that we can, given the limitations of the medium. But uh, we will have a dedicated email for the podcast, and that's my name, david.ppe. That's uh, Pogues Police Echo and the Bunnyman uh, at Outlook.com. So that's david.ppe at Outlook.com. So uh, we invite you to send us comments, questions, uh, band or song recommendations, uh, suggestions about the, the format or the way that the podcast is going, and, and anything really that's on your mind. Uh, the podcast really is intended for people like me who are really passionate about music and who would like to share their insights and, and uh, open people's eyes to, to, to new things or things that they maybe uh, have never encountered before. And so ideally we can address or, or talk about some of the input that you send me uh, on following uh, episodes of the podcast, whether that be, you know, again, a song suggestion, an artist suggestion, or some other content idea. Um, but uh, when I address it, it's quite possible that I'm just going to reject them and, and tell you that uh, most of the suggestions were terrible and uh, none of them will be integrated into the show because it is my show. Just kidding. Um, so anyway, your first homework assignment this week uh, is to send us uh, on, the, uh, on the Twitter feed or, or on the website uh, your thoughts on, on statement of purpose songs. You know, again, the idea is that uh, it wasn't necessarily a popular song, didn't have to be the best song in the album, anything like that. Um, but really, it's, it's like when the artist really lays out uh, their intentions and, and really their whole career in the first uh, first chance you get to encounter them. So I, I gave you uh, just a few minutes ago Gang of Four to start it rolling, but uh, we'll get to some other ones as well during this first show, but we really want you to, to share with us wh what you think about. Who, which bands do you think about when you say, man, when I put on the first album, first track, uh, it really kind of changed the way I viewed uh, music or it really got me excited about what this band was going to be able to do throughout the course of their career. Uh, when you send us stuff, you know, you can also send us, uh, you know, we're flexible here. So you could also send us a, a track one song that signals a, a significant shift for a band or for an artist. Um, you know, so it's really not a statement of purpose, but a, 
maybe a, a statement of repurpose. And I guess one comes to mind for me is, is Metallica with Enter Sandman, which is, uh, you know, track one of the Black album where they started to uh, usher in a new era and uh, let you know pretty quickly that the, the days of their nine minute epic thrash workouts uh, were effectively over. Uh, I guess you had to wait to see them in person, uh, playing live to get those again. But, uh, you know, they had shortened their songs. They had tightened it up and made it a little bit more, I guess, what we would call standard rock. And so, I, you know, again, we would accept that as kind of a uh, statement of purpose kind of song, statement of purpose track on a new album. So, um, all right. So having said that, uh, here is my next entry into the statement of purpose tracks. Uh, I think when you stick with it for a little while, you'll, uh, you'll enjoy this one as well. So that was Black Sabbath, of course, with Black Sabbath. Uh, I think they decided to name it after themselves so that you wouldn't confuse them with Herman's Hermits. Um, but whatever the reason, uh, I think it's fair to say that when, uh, when you first put that track on, uh, you certainly realized where their career was going and what you could expect out of Black Sabbath. All right, so having uh, covered some of the uh, Statement of Purpose songs, uh, I just want to uh, maybe get it into a little bit more of, of what you can expect on the podcast. Uh, I've been pan planning the podcast for, for quite some time now. Um, and if you hear it from my wife, our producer, uh, and our kids, probably been waiting way, way too long to get this started. Um, but anyway, the, the recent death of Neil Peart, the uh, drummer for Rush, you know, really kind of crystallized for me uh, why the podcast should go forward. And it, and it kind of informs, in very general terms, a lot of what I want to talk about uh, in the podcast and what I'm trying to accomplish and, and why. Um, and that is, you know, Neil Peart directly or indirectly really touches on a lot of, of very interesting discussions for me about music and, and for music obsessives or collectors like me. Um, and so there's they're really kind of uh, two or three things that, that I wanted to cover uh, that are prompted by, you know, the unfortunate and untimely death of, of Neil Peart. So I guess I'll start with a, a short story for you uh, about Rush that in some ways encapsulates how I came to be 
the kind of mu music appreciator that I am, you know, why I have so many albums and, and again, what this podcast really is kind of all about or, or meant to be about. So uh, return with me, if you will, to those simpler times of the late 1970s. Um, so obviously I'm giving away at least a, a, a glimpse into my age, but uh, we're in the late 1970s, and uh, I come from a, a reasonably large family, and uh, we had one stereo that we all shared. Uh, you know, of course, we all had our own uh, clock radios uh, for our morning alarms, and uh, we also had the transistor radio in our bathroom that was, as I recall, regularly tuned in to the local Top 40 station. Um, but uh, getting back to the shared stereo, you know, that's really the only time that you have a way to control what you hear and, and when you hear it. Um, and so, you know, again, it's kind of the, the anti-radio. It's your own personal radio. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's kind of the setting for this story, and it's a story you probably will enjoy because it really is kind of humiliating for me. And so if you know me at all, um, you'll probably enjoy uh, hearing a story such as that. So... Anyway, so back, uh, back in the home front, I was coming up on about 12 years old and uh, had recently gotten to, you know, heavier into FM, what we call now classic rock stations, but at that time it was basically just a rock station and had all your favorite rock artists, uh, you know, Zeppelin, The Stones, Beatles, Bachman-Turner Overdrive, and uh, at that point, uh, a band called Foghat was, was ascendant if you will, uh, at that time. And, and their song, Fool for the City, was, was on regular rotation on, on the station that I listened to, and I was totally there for it, man. I, I, was, I was very into uh, radio at that time, and I was certainly into Foghat and, and Fool for the City. So uh, my older brother, on the other hand, was, was starting uh, to branch out a little bit, and he was listening to Rush, um, kind of unbeknownst to me at the time. But so he, he was listening to things like Rush and, and getting into like Steve Miller Band and things like that. And uh, for whatever reason, I, I really didn't want anything to do with Rush. Um, did I really even know who they were? I, not really at that time. I mean, I know Fly By Night and Working Man were occasionally played on rock radio. Um, but I don't know that I really made the connection, you know, again, as, as to them as, as a band or uh, that they were making new music or anything like that. So... Um, Look, what I was 11 years old, so you gotta maybe cut me some slack on on not making that connection, or realizing that that bands had more than one song, or that they could really evolve significantly from from one album to another. But anyway, so my older brother comes home one afternoon, and he wants he wants to share the stereo with me, and uh, I don't really have much of a choice at that point, so I guess I will share with my older brother. So. Uh, but he, so he, he suggests putting on his new Rush cassette, um, but I want no part of that. So I, you know, I said, if we're going to share the stereo, we should listen to something that both of us enjoy. And so I, I, I said no. And uh, so then he said, well, he also had the new Foghat album on tape. So, uh, and it, for those of you who are record store people, this is the uh, Foghat live album that you probably saw in every bin uh, later on in the cutout bins, um, but the uh, the letters of the word live uh, were kind of cut out from the open, uh, from the main jacket, so you could see um, pictures of the band on stage uh, inside 
uh, in the inside sleeve. So anyway, a uh, little diversion to the Foghead live album. But anyway, so I was like, yeah, sounds good. Put in the new Foghead album. Um, and so he put it in his tape and, and that opened with this excellent opening track. And so, of course, that track is Rush of Farewell to Kings uh, off the album of the same name. And, uh, and that day, uh, having been, uh, I, until I learned later, uh, incredibly humiliated by my brother, I became a huge fan of Rush and, uh, and still am uh, definitely a, a listener to this day. So, and, uh, you know, I don't know if my brother even remembers that story. I'm hopeful that he will listen to the podcast, and I'm sure he'll fill me in as to whether or not he remembers it the way it was uh, or whether I'm kind of misremembering it, uh, as memory sometimes does. Um, but the point's the same. You know, it was, it was a good lesson for me to learn very early uh, before I got too egotistical and, and uh, too set in my ways, you know. And uh, I know I still probably have some blind spots to this day, for example, New Jack Swing, Freestyle, and Dance Hall. Um, but it was a, it was a lesson that I, I took, and, and I occasionally reflect back on it to kind of consciously try to carry forward, um, you know, in my listening life. Um, and that is to, to, to not uh, reject something out of hand because you might have a, a preconceived notion of what it's going to sound like. And, and even, you know, that, uh, again, as, a, as an artist grows or changes, uh, you may want to change with them. Uh, sometimes the changes are not not your style, not your flavor, but sometimes they are. And so it was always uh, kind of a lesson to me to keep my, my eyes and ears open for, for new music or new ways to hear music. And I suspect that that explains why I have such uh, wide-ranging tastes, uh, you know, in, in music, uh, within genres and, and cross-genres. So, uh, you know, again, it taught me to kind of listen to without blinders, uh, as, as the phrase goes. But uh, so that's the story. So, you know, in addition to uh, taking a huge painful chunk out of my youth and, and my, uh, my old classic rock listening days, 
uh, and a huge loss to the to the music industry generally. Uh, Neil Peart's death uh, really served as a reminder for me yet again to, to, to keep an open mind, um, to look outside of your comfort zone when it comes to, to listening to new music or, or revisiting some of the music uh, that you already own. Um, and so uh, I think that's, that's been very beneficial for me. And, and again, Neil Peart's death really uh, kind of uh, brought me back to that point and, and really prompted me to, to work a little bit more diligently towards putting this podcast on the air. So uh, I'm certainly thankful for that. Uh, whether that's a good or a bad thing really is, is going to be up to you all. So, um, so um, again, thinking of Rush and, and thinking of Neil um, kind of also reminds me of the, some of the good and the bad of, of classic rock radio. And uh, I likely will maybe expand on these thoughts uh, in, a, in a separate episode of the podcast. But for now, I'm just going to uh, maybe toss a couple of darts uh, of thought regarding, you know, the, the issues of, of rock radio and, and classic rock FM radio. So, um, you know, for the good, uh, rock radio generally in the, in the FM format, uh, at least in my youth, allowed for uh, album rock. You know, longer songs, uh, deeper appreciation of the artists beyond the, the hit record or the hit single uh, that the companies might push you know, in other genres or on, uh, on pop radio uh, or uh, some of the other outlets that are available to, to listen. So, you know, I found rock radio uh, much more uh, open to, to the longer song formats, um, but again, also going uh, into some deeper cuts uh, on albums from, from bands that you were familiar with. Uh, in fact, I mean, I, I do remember uh, a radio station that I used to listen to uh, playing full sides of an album in, in one sitting. Um, for example, I, I have a very distinctive memory uh, hearing uh, the first side of ELO's Out of the Blue album, uh, just sitting in my room laying on the bottom bunk uh, and, uh, and just following along. And uh, it wasn't long before I saved up enough to go to the record store and, and pick that one up. And I just don't know that there were other uh, radio formats that, that allowed for something like that. And so I was very thankful uh, to have kind of experienced the, what I guess would be the heyday of rock radio. Uh, I wonder why they can't do that today. You know, I, w I wonder, you know, what it is about the, the, the longer songs and the, and the deeper tracks that, that scare away the the uh, programmers for, for rock radio. You know, I'm, I'm left to wonder, you know, if there was no market for, you know, Yes or Emerson, Lake and Palmer or some of those bands that were, were pulling uh, much longer songs off of their albums to, to offer to radio stations to play, you know, if, if those bands didn't uh, get as big as they did as a result of the format, uh, what did the what did the 80s look like in rock music? You know, you had all those supergroups that formed. You had uh, Asia and The Firm and GTR, uh, bands such as that, uh, which likely would not have penetrated the market at all had it not been for for the source bands, for you know, Yes and ELP and and King Crimson and some of those bands. So, uh, you know, my it just really in my mind raises a very interesting question of where we would be in rock radio uh, if rock radio at that time was not allowing for uh, such expansive listening.
Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't have answers. I just have questions. You know, and, and circling back to, you know, Rush, I mean, Rush is a good example of this. Uh, you know, if you can trust the kind of accepted biography of the band. Um, at that time, so they're coming off of, of Caress of Steel, um, their third album. And uh, my understanding is that the record company was intending to drop the band after that album. Uh, but Rush instead uh, drops 2112. And that's got, you know, their 20-minute opening suite, appropriately called 2112, uh, which really uh, expanded their palette, both sonically and just, again, time-wise. Um, you know, they're dealing in basically a 20-minute piece that really is not effectively broken up into smaller parts. And uh, because that song and, and that album uh, was able to be, you know, played for, for listeners and, and, uh, and kind of changed the game for Rush and for those who were interested in the band, um, it really broke them. And, and uh, it was only possible because of the format. It was only possible because station managers or, or uh, DJs had the opportunity to, to allow people to dig uh, that much deeper into a band that, you know, they might have been interested in, but but weren't really allowed to, uh, or really were not presented with uh, such an expansive uh, style of music uh, from the band. So, you know, I, I don't want to imagine a world where Farewell to Kings or, or Hemispheres or Moving Pictures uh, are never released because, because Rush loses their contract and they just end up in the hinterlands of, of Canada playing small clubs the rest of their lives. Um, and that's not to mention even the dozen or so albums that came after that. Uh, they have been a vital band for a very, very long time. And, and that, you know, to me just uh, really underscores what a loss uh, it, we've had recently. So anyway, you know, so that's the good. I mean, that's the, the good of classic rock radio. Now for, you know, some of the not so good uh, among the current, you know, crop of classic rock stations, I, I, I feel as though, uh, in some ways, they dishonor their their own history, uh, and the tastes or their or the uh, depth of of interest that their listener base has. You know, um, really, uh, you know, do people who like Led Zeppelin really only like three or four Zeppelin songs? You know, do do Aerosmith fans really like? three of their songs, or maybe a half dozen of the Stones' 10,000 or so songs that they, they've recorded. You know, the question is, why, why can't these stations continue to have that same kind of adventurous spirit uh, they had back when, when these bands were at the peak of their, their powers? You know, it, it just it makes no sense to me at all. And, you know, I, it, it really kind of fractures the market, and it creates a market for, for hits-only listeners, which I think, again, uh, from my viewpoint, uh, your basic, you know, classic in the sense of uh, old-time uh, rock radio listeners are not hits-only listeners, you know. So uh, why not play Out on the Tiles from Led Zeppelin Three? I mean, do you really think that someone who likes Zeppelin is going to turn that off, even if they're not familiar with that particular song or they, they haven't heard it in 20 years? I mean, it's still Zeppelin, and it's still identifiable as Zeppelin, and I have no doubt that people would would be intrigued by it. So, you know, I, again, I just, I just don't understand that. But, you know, that's kind of where we are in this kind of uh, 
again, greatest hits, it's only kind of, of methodology for, for classic rock radio stations. And it really, I actually had to look this up, but it put me in the mind of an old Kids in the Hall skit uh, that I remember from way back where he's in a record store and, and a guy comes in and purports to want to investigate uh, the doors. And <laughs> the line, I, again, I had to look it up and rewatch it, and of course it, it was just as funny as I remember, but uh, the record store owners, uh, as the as the patron is, is saying that maybe he should start with a Greatest Hits album to kind of get into the band, uh, the store owner says, Greatest Hits albums are for housewives and little girls. And I, I don't know that I'd go that far, but I do think that, that classic rock radio right now is uh, giving people uh, only kind of a Greatest Hits perspective, and, and I just think that they're the lesser for it. Um, I think it'd be very, very interesting uh, for, again, the terrestrial radio uh, not satellite, but terrestrial radio to, uh, in rock formats, to, to go back to kind of the way they were. Uh, maybe play, you know, deeper cuts, maybe play longer songs, maybe play uh, entire sides of albums and see if people get back into some bands that have been, been lost. Um, you know, and, and I think the downside of these, you know, kind of hits only listeners is, is that they kind of get stunted uh, into you know, particular songs, and I think they miss out on a lot. And, and again, of course, this is my kind of bias, but, you know, seriously, if, if, if an artist can make a song that you repeatedly want to listen to, if they make a song that you can't live without for that day or, or for a week or for, you know, course of years, you know, what, what in that makes you think that none of their other songs would reach that level? I mean, if you really enjoy a song that much from an artist, why would you think that, you know, several, if not all, of the remaining songs on that album uh, are of value and, and would be interesting to you and, and that you would get something out of them, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, that's really the reason that even now when I, when I listen to an album or a compact disc, um, I tend to try and listen to it all the way through. Uh, I don't really, you know, I may re-listen to a particular song or I may go back and and re-listen to portions of it, but I almost always want to hear the entirety of, of the work because that's the way it was meant to be heard. That's, that's the way the artist produced it, and, uh, and they really were not trying to, to sell you singles at that time, at least, again, in the rock uh, format. So, you know, I think, I think you owe it to the artist to, to hear them out, and that's what we're going to try and talk a little bit more about here. So, uh, you know, again, on the subject of Neil Peart, uh, this is kind of the, the third thing that, that, that his death really kind of brought to mind when uh, talking about, you know, the podcast and getting this underway and, and what kind of things we wanted to talk about. But, um, you know, as, as anyone who's still here and hasn't turned this podcast off by now uh, likely knows, uh, you know, Neil, widely considered one of the greatest rock drummers of all time. Um, but uh, that raises kind of its own issue, that whole best of best musician, you know, and I, I remember these, these best musician contests or, or polls were always a, a great way to sell more issues of Rolling Stone or a guitar player magazine. Um, but it really is kind of a, a strange and, and, in my view, uh, bad way to evaluate musical talent, you know, that I don't know how you can even uh, try to uh, 
quantify who is the best given the, the different genres that you have, given uh, the different uh, purpose for which that particular musician uh, is in that band, you know, what, what their role really is and how that, that piece fits into the greatest whole, or the greater whole, I should say. And so, you know, I, I think probably it, you need to talk more about your favorite musicians, you know, your favorite guitarist or bassist or drummer, uh, and I think you got to keep it within genres because it, it, it's almost impossible, in my view, to, to really legitimately measure uh, talent, uh, musical talent across genres, um, you know, because there's just more than one way to quantify talent, and there's there's more than just mere technical expertise that makes one musician, you know, better or or more enjoyable to listen to another. Uh, and again, this is this is an issue for a whole another podcast episode, if, if not more. You know, uh, could do it by you know guitarist, by drummer, by bassist. And, uh, and we'll try to cover that. And somebody, hopefully a drummer out there, can, can write in or, or uh, you know, correspond with us here and try and explain to me how it is that Bonham uh, is considered still uh, one of the great drummers. Because I, I just don't hear it. And when we do that drummer episode or another you know, greatest or favorite musician episode, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more. But uh, I've just never heard it. Uh, but I do respect that a lot of drummers uh, cite him as as a, um, one of their favorites or or as that influence, and so I'd I'd like to learn a little bit more about that because just you know to my untrained drummer ear I just don't get it. Um, but you know let's bring it around to guitars for example. You know again it it's it's hard to uh, overstate how talented and and technically talented uh, you know. Swedish guitar god Ingve Malmsteen is. Uh, but, you know, if I'm a producer or if I'm a songwriter and I've got four bars to fill uh, in, in a rock song, I'm probably calling David Gilmour. I might call Neil Schoen, you know. So in, in some sense, that makes them better, uh, at least to my ears, uh, certainly not as technically talented uh, as Ingve. But, um, you know, again, if you, if you disagree, uh, it is David ppe at outlook.com and uh, you know fight me about it so we can uh, we can talk more about that but again that's that's one of the things that uh, you know we'd like to get more into in a, in a future podcast and uh, and I have a feeling that that with your help we can make that uh, a very interesting and quite possibly contentious uh, discussion so I look forward to it um, and I look forward to episode two so until next time uh, this is the uh, this is the end of the first episode, and I'm gonna play you out with uh, Jackson Brown. But suddenly, it's so clear to me that I'd asked her to see what she may never see, and now my kind words find their way back. There's a train every day Leaving either way There's a world, you know You got a ways to go And I'll soon believe 